Psalm 103, verses 6 through 22. Entitlement is a belief that one inherently deserves certain privileges and special treatment. It's an attitude or, or a mindset that one has a birthright to something. And when you hear the word entitlement, who comes to mind when you hear the word entitlement? What group of people come to mind when you hear the word entitlement? We all put a face next to the word, but it's never our face. It's always the face of those people or that person. It's their issue, not my issue. I want each of us to, to understand that entitlement isn't just a social or political issue. It's really a spiritual issue. And every person, regardless of race, culture, or economic status, has an entitlement spirit. We all think and feel we deserve something, whether we earned it or not. If you have, if you have kids, you know what I mean. We all think and feel we are entitled to something. Recognition, promotion, prosperity, material things. If you're a kid, you want toys or the latest gadget, status, a certain lifestyle, or even respect. So we all are entitled to something. But what do you feel like you're entitled to? Do you see it? A pastor in North Carolina says, gratitude begins where my sense of entitlement ends. Gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. Your entitlement spirit meets its end in Jesus Christ. It does. For none of us are entitled to any of his blessings. I hope we realize that. We're not entitled to any of them. In fact, we don't deserve them. So we are to walk in grateful praise to him, not in a prideful entitlement. And David, King David, he leads us to walk in such a way in this hymn of praise in Psalm 103. We walk in, in grateful praise because of who the Lord is. We walk in grateful praise because of what he does for us. Last week, we, we talked about verses 1 through 5. We talked about praising God with our whole being. We talked about the, the benefits that he gives to all of us and not forgetting those benefits. Today, we're going to finish out this song. We're going to look at verses 6 through 22. So if you have your Bible, the word of God, please join me as I read, beginning in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chastise, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. For when the wind passes over it and it is gone, its place knows it no more. But the staff as love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your truth, I pray that the Spirit will prepare our hearts to receive your word. I pray that he will prepare my heart as well. For we all desperately need more of you. We never need less of Jesus. We need more of him. And so you know us. From the older to the youngest of us, you know us. You see us. You know what we need. And I pray for everyone that's here today that that you will minister to their deep needs. Those true spiritual deep needs of their soul. The things that they hide from others. I pray that they will hear a word today that will give them comfort. That will sustain them. That will empower them to go back out into the world and fight one more week. So, Holy Spirit, please come, please move, please show us more of Jesus Christ. And in his name I pray, amen. David elaborates on the Lord's benefits from verses 3 and 5 in the verses going forward. He's going to go into more detail about who the Lord is and about what the Lord does. You see, his benefits in verses 3 through 5, they, they come to you because of who he is and because of what he does. The benefits doesn't come to us because of who we are and because of what we do. We don't get the benefits because of us. Not because of our education, not because of our status. It's all because of him. And his benefits are the way he deals with his people. He deals with us in a certain way. And the way he deals with his people flows directly out of who he is, out of his character. David says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He can do that because he is a righteous and just God. That's why he can do that. He's just in his character. He's righteous in his character. Psalm 97 verses 1 and 2 says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let many coastlands be glad. Clouds and and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Isaiah 5 verse 16 says, But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice. Exalted in justice. The holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. So righteousness and justice are part of his character. Two of his attributes. 
And because of who he is, he, he shows righteousness and he shows justice to all who are oppressed. Psalm 33 says he loves righteousness and justice. Yahweh loves to show justice to those who are oppressed, particularly those who are his people. He protects them. He takes up their case. He doesn't turn a blind eye to injustice. He doesn't say, well, it sucks to be you when you're on the receiving end of it. doesn't say that to you. doesn't say, well, maybe, maybe, next, maybe in your better, next life you have a better go at it. The Lord sees all that his people go through. He hears our cry for justice. And he will show up. Now, can I tell you how he's going to show up? No, but I know he will. His word says he works to good all things to those who love him. So he will show up in the things that we go through in our sufferings and our hardships. The greatest Old Testament example of God's righteous deeds and and justice dealings with his people is is the Exodus and the wilderness wilderness wanderings of Israel. And David points this out in, in verse 7. He says, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. That phrase, he, he made known, is a reference to, to God's self-revelation. Please know, God reveals himself to man. That's how we get to know him. It's not us waking up one day and saying, well, I guess I want to discover God today. No. He's not dependent upon us to make himself known. He makes himself known. And that's what um, David is pointing out here. His ways is his character. His acts are his dealings. He says in in verse 8, Yahweh is merciful and gracious. That's his ways. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Those are his acts. You see it. His acts flows out of his ways. And David is quoting Exodus 34 here in verse 6 in these verses. In Exodus 34, the Lord met Moses on Mount Sinai to renew the covenant after Israel broke covenant with him. Because if you know, when, when Moses delivered them, they built the golden calf while Moses went up to the mountain to, to get the Ten Commandments. So while Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, the people made their own God, even though Yahweh just delivered them out of slavery. They still had a hard time being faithful and remembering Yahweh. They even wanted to go back to Egypt. Back to captivity, even though the Lord delivered them. So on this mountain, the Lord replaced the two stone tablets, writing the Ten Commandments back on them again. And and on this mountain, the Lord gave Moses a self-portrait of himself. It's a self-revelation of God. Listen to these words from Exodus 34. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. And as the Lord commanded him, and he took two stone tablets in his hand, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. Think about that. The Lord standing next to Moses, like you're standing next to your best friend. And on this mountain, it says, he proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, 
forgive in inequity, transgressions, and sin, but who would not by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses, after he hears these words, he, he quickly bows his head and worships the Lord because the Lord just revealed his character to Moses and he just revealed his works to Moses. Then Moses says to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please go with us. Please go in our midst. Don't send us out alone. He says, Israel is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and sin. Take us as your inheritance. Moses interceded for Israel for mercy. That's what that prayer is. It's an intercession prayer. Moses knows Israel's stiff-neckedness. He knows they're stubborn. He knows they don't deserve the benefits. Even Yahweh calls them stiff-necked in Isaiah in Exodus 32. He says his own people are stiff-necked people. They're ungrateful. They're stubborn. They're entitled. And they complain. Time after time, they wandered from the Lord into idolatry. Time after time, they forgot him. Psalm 78, verse 11 says, they forgot his works and wonders that he has shown them. Think about that. These people saw the Lord part the Red Sea and they still forgot him. He is a part of the Red Sea for me that I can just walk through. I mean, I can go up to the Tennessee River and put out a staff, but I don't think it's going to part. But they saw these wonders and they still forgot. Please understand, the church today, we're just like Israelites of old. We're just like them. We can't hate on them. We can't judge them because we wander too. We forget too. We're stubborn. We're entitled. And we don't deserve any of the Lord's benefits. Where would you be if you didn't have Jesus interceding for you before God? Where would you be if you didn't have an intercessor interceding for you before God at this moment? Where would you be if God the Father just certainly decides, I'm going to give them what they really deserve? Because we're quick to say certain people deserve what they get, but realize we don't just get what we deserve from God. Where would you be if he came to you, you're going to get what you finally deserve from me? But you don't get what you deserve. None of us do as believers. And it's not because we're the best thing since sliced bread. We're molded bread. Let's be honest about who we are. It's not because of you're all day in the bag of chips. You got your molded chips as well. Out of date, expired, stale. It's not because we're Americans. It's not because we live in the Bible Belt. It's not because we have the right theology. It's, it has nothing to do with us. It's all because of who he is. You don't get what you deserve because Yahweh Elohim is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If he wasn't that type of God, you would get what you deserve if he was not that. You would get what you deserve. You don't get what you deserve because his chastisement doesn't last forever. 
nor does he keep his anger forever. You don't get what you deserve because he does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquity. If he did, we would all be going to hell. It's because of who he is, because of what he does. It's not because of who we are and what we do. Christians don't get what they deserve because Jesus received it in your place. That's why. God the Father dealt with him for your sin. He made payment for your sin. The punishment and the curse that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus on our old rugged cross. For the wages of sin is death and Jesus died in your place. The wrath of God was meant for all of us, but he poured it out on Jesus on the cross. Please know that. When that son said the father turned his face away, that meant he poured out his wrath all on Jesus in your place. That was supposed to be me on that cross, you on that cross, not him. But because of his great love for you, he sacrificed his son in your place. That's gospel truth. And all your sin has been nailed to that cross. The lyrics from the song, Behold a man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I heard my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Because of his finished work, you don't get what you deserve. Because of his finished work, we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are delivered from God's wrath. If you don't want to get what you deserve today, then you need to come to Jesus and save in faith. Please know that. If you don't know Jesus, one day you're going to get what you deserve. I know it's offensive, but it's the gospel truth. Not tomorrow, not the next day. You need to come today. You don't have to wait till you get your life together because you come because it's not together. You come because you're broken. You come because you have issues. You come because you're messy. You come because you have issues. That's why we come. That's why Jesus came, because we're messy people. So you can come to him today and receive him and save in faith. Because there's only one way in which you can be made right with God, and that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Your only way you can be made right. That's the only way you're going to get in those pearly gates. It's by being covered in the blood of the Lamb. Standing on His finished work, not your own. So if you want forgiveness, you want hope, you want peace, you want value, you want forgiveness, you want love, you want acceptance, you want to be somebody, then you need to come to Jesus. Everything else you stand on is sinking sand. It will disappoint you. It will let you down. Because there's only one who is strong enough and powerful enough to sustain you through it all, and that is Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus, then you need to bless his name. All that is within you should bless his name. You should walk in, in grateful praise because you don't get what you deserve because of him. 
You can't be entitled. You are to be grateful. Are you grateful? Are you thankful for what he's done for you? The dab is a popular dance among teens and and some adults, if you know how to dance. Cam Newton, the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, you know, he used to do this dance, you know, every time he scored a touchdown. And so the dab is an easy dance. You know, one leans into their elbow like they're sneezing, and then they raise the hand in the air, you know, kind of, you know, like this. That is right here. Now, it's congregation participation time. So I want to see you do the dab for me. Now, you don't have to do it, but I want to see you do it. Please, do the dab. Do it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. You see, Christians do the dab not because we score touchdowns. We don't do it because we want to score cool points. For us, it's a form of praise. Because for the Christian, dab is an acronym for this, delivered and blessed. Are you delivered and blessed? If you're delivered and blessed, you need to do the dab. Because you can dab for the Lord because as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for you. Do you believe that? Then give him a dab of praise. You can dab for the Lord because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. Then give him praise. Give him praise then if you believe that. You can give him a dab of praise because as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his. I'm an imperfect dad, but yet I have compassion on my kids sometimes. But God has compassion on me all the time and on you all the time. You can give him a dab of praise because it's all about who he is and what he's done. And you walk in great for praise because of that. There's a, something else the Lord does that should lead you to walk in praise. David says in verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Pretend like I'm on Facebook right now. I'll let that sit there. He knows how you are formed. He remembers that you are dust. Let those words rest in your mind. Let them rest in your heart. The Father knows you. He remembers you. Think about this. Though we forget him, Though we forget who he is, though we forget all of his benefits, David is saying he never forgets us. He never forgets how we are formed. He never forgets that we're finite. He never forgets that we have limitations. He never forgets that we are weak. He never forgets that we fall short. He never forgets that we're going to wander from him. He never forgets that we are stiff-necked people. He knows all this about us, and yet he still loves. He sees the depths of our soul and our heart, and yet he loves us the same. Because his love is not based upon who we are. It's based upon who he is. That's what it's based upon. He's patient with you. 
He's patient with you. And his dealings with his people are eternal because he's eternal. He doesn't change over time. His love is not going to change. His faithfulness isn't going to change. He's consistent. He's always there. He's the same yesterday and he will be the same forever. And that's not the case for us because we, our existence is coming to an end. That's what David says here. We're not eternal. Our ways and our acts will one day come to an end. And David says in verses 15 and 16, As for man, our days are like grass. We flourish like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. One day we will all be forgotten on this earth. But guess what? The Lord will not forget you when you're gone. Even in your death, God has you. I love that. Even when I die, I'm not forgotten. We all will return to the grave. We all will vanish from this earth. We're all going to return to dust. But we will never vanish from the heart of God. Even in death, His love is with us. Even in death, His affection is with us. And one day, He's going to resurrect us all from the grave if we know Jesus to new life. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And those who fear him are Christians. Those who have given their life to Jesus are the ones who fear him. And his righteousness to children, children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. You can bless the Lord, saints of God. You can walk in grateful praise. And this table is a wonderful picture, a wonderful reminder of who our God is and what our God does for us. It's a reminder that he is a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, it's a reminder that he will by no means clear the guilty. And if you want to be clear, you've got to come to Jesus to be cleared. It's a reminder that he does not deal with us according to our sin. He does not repay us according to our iniquities because he dealt with it through Christ. It's a reminder that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed all your sins from you. This table is for those who have faith in Jesus, those who have surrendered to him in faith. Friends and neighbors, if you don't know Christ, I'm glad you're here with us. And if you have questions of what it means to know Jesus, please see me after the service. And I will lovingly talk with you about what it means to have faith in him. Parents who ask the kids that are with you, abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table by the church that you attend. Now, kids, all my village kids, This is my favorite part of communion. This meal is a reminder to each of you that what Christ did for you on the cross, that he died on the cross for your sins. Now, there are those in the world who don't believe that. There are those in the world who think we're crazy for believing that. But the gospel is true. He died for you. And it's my prayer as your pastor that one day each and every one of you will come to saving faith. It's your prayer of your parents, your prayer of your elders and deacons. And it's our prayer that one day you'll be able to take this meal with your mom and dad. 
Now I'd like to invite the officers who are assisting to come forward. And before we receive the elements, I would ask you to go to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to prepare your hearts for communion. <laughs>